Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hello and welcome to Eureka, the show that gets right under the skin of science in a good way. Isaac Asimov once said the most exciting phrase to hear in science is not Eureka, but that's funny. And respectfully, we think you can have a bit of both. I'm Rick Edwards. This is my uh, uh, manservant. (laughs) (laughs) I'm Dr. Michael Brooks, not a manservant. It's sweet that you don't think you're a manservant. This is a show where we invite an expert to help us answer one of science's most interesting questions. How do we come up with the interesting questions? We just conjure them out of nowhere. Yeah, we basically think, what am I interested in? Yeah, what what do I want to know the answer to? Yeah, and we don't like to Google. So, you know, we'll go away and, and do some serious work on it. Yeah, just do some thinking. Just do some thinking, come up with a good question, and then come up with some answers. Uh, and today's, I've got to tell you... Th- th- what this have you is, got? This is mine... It's an absolute doozy. Go on. In this episode, we're going to be exploring, will we ever talk to animals? Oh, I mean, I talk to my dog all the time, basically Commun- saying, what the fuck? <laughs> will, will we have a Why did you bite my father-in-law? <laughs> Was it? Oh, that's good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Bit your father-in-law? Bit my father-in-law on Boxing Day evening. Yeah. Well, there's a clear message in there somewhere. Well, the message is don't go to A&E on Boxing Day evening because you'll be there till four in the morning and still not have the tetanus shot. How bad was the bite? It was quite bad, to be honest. Yeah, it was quite deep. I mean, she, she really went for it. What what provoked her? Uh, he came too close while right. she was a bit dozy and sleepy. And then she wakes up, sees a hand dangling in front of her and it's like, right, <laughs> bite that off. I mean, I shouldn't laugh, but I haven't got another reaction. I think it's funny. <laughs> uh, anyway, so I, I, I mean, as well as being able to say, you know, what the fuck, I'd like to be able to just say, so why are you like this, Rafi? Because it's not the first time. Yeah, she's, um, yeah. she's got, she's got history. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, at least she's not biting me anymore. Touch wood. Yeah, I guess that she's definitely warm to you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. It does take time. Yeah. It's not, you're not an easy person to love. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, she's only known me for three years, so, you know. Yeah, I mean, I think, when did I start to like you? It was pretty, it was about about sort of three years in. (laughs) I'm totally with her. (laughs) Human fascination with animals dates back to our earliest known history, with animals and humans living side by side for thousands of years. But just how close are we to breaking the communication barrier? Over half of UK households own at least one pet, so whether it's a fish who's never ventured further than your kitchen counter or a 
puppy you bought during lockdown to pass the lonely hours working from home, if you're listening to this show, there's a pretty high chance that you live with an animal or you have at some point in your life. I, for one, would love to be able to tell my cat to stop scratching my furniture and ask her, what do you want from me? As well as pondering what our pets would say if they could, on today's episode we're discussing apes who may have gained the ability to communicate using American Sign Language, a unique system that sea creatures use to communicate amongst themselves underwater, and as always, we'll be asking one of the world's leading experts to answer our question, will we ever talk to animals? So, as ever, Rick, uh, it sounds like we have a brilliant mind to tell us all about this. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to let you down here, am I? Uh, We have... Barbara J. King, Emerita Professor of Anthropology at the College of William and Mary, the author of seven books on animals. Her How Animals Grieve has been translated into seven languages. Her newest book is just out. It's called Animals Best Friends, Putting Compassion to Work for Animals in Captivity and the Wild. Uh, and because obviously you've got to start somewhere, we kicked off by asking her which animals have the most potential for effective communication with humans. The projects that get the most attention uh, tend to be those with our closest living relatives, which are great apes. These are chimpanzees and bonobos and gorillas, perhaps also uh, creatures of the ocean like dolphins. And in this case, we ask them to learn our communication systems. For example, ASL, which is American Sign Language, or using printed symbols on cards. And there's definitely success in talking with animals that way. But we're asking an animal to come at communication the human way, often in captivity. Some years ago, I flew down to the state of Georgia, which is in the American South, to meet the really famous bonobo called Kanzi. And he was at the time at Georgia State University in a project run by Dr. Sue Savage-Rumbaugh. And he has been for years very famous in ape language circles because he was never taught to communicate directly. Rather, researchers were trying to teach his mother how to work with human symbols. And Kanzi, as a little youngster, just kind of picked this up really spontaneously. It turned out that Kanzi was really good at using these symbols and also understanding some human speech. So the symbols are called lexigrams, and he used a lexigram board as he got older to communicate by pointing to symbols. And I pretty much got off the airplane and arrived at this research facility and met Kanzi. And he looked me over, he took his lexigram board, and he touched the symbols for a sentence, visitor chase, question mark. And that made sense. He didn't know me, but he thought we might play together, and we did. So I was wearing blue jeans and I had a small ball in my pocket that I brought him that he couldn't see. And he looked hard at me again and then he asked, egg, question mark. And of course, at that point, I felt bad that I didn't have an egg. But in other words, we did have a conversation and he and his sister, Pambanisha, were capable of much more complicated conversations than that. So I have heard of Kanzi. But mm-hmm. I, what I've heard is that it's not as straightforward as some people have said in terms of ability to use language. Right. That's exactly the nub of it. I think what this all comes down to really is that we desperately want to believe, and by we I mean us in general, but also the researchers involved in the work, want to believe that we can have 
conversations and communicate with the great apes. Yeah. yeah. Like we really, we deep in our souls, we want to believe that's happening. And that means that a lot of the research that has been held up as an example of exactly that is quite questionable. So is there a and bit of wishful you, thinking going on? A load of wishful thinking. And so you, you can see why you'd start off with, with the great apes, because they're our, our closest yeah, relatives. Yeah. And when you look at them in the wild, they definitely use gestures. And you can see interesting things like orangutans in uh, captivity appear to have a load of uh, gestures that they do that they just don't do out in the wild. So they're developing, you know, certain okay, kind of... Right. I mean, you wouldn't necessarily call it language, but cues to try and get things that they want yeah. or get, you know, one of the other orangutans they're communicating, to do something. They? They're communicating some some idea yeah. or, or some want. Generally, it is a want. And it's interesting that they develop more in more in captivity. And then you look at chimps, um, and, and they're using quite a lot of gestures out in, out in the wild. I think at the last count, you could find kind of 66 discrete gestures. And so, you know, researchers back in the, I think it's sort of early 20th century, started thinking, okay, well, maybe we'll be able to, you know, decipher some of this or teach them some of our language. Yeah. Now, you immediately rule out the idea that they're going to be able to actually sort of speak a human language just because of the, the structures of our of our larynx and voice box and stuff are just so different. Yeah, they just don't have they, right. and they, yeah. So they just can't make those, those sounds. So then you think, okay, American Sign Language. Let's see if we can teach them American Sign Language. So a common... A common language, very much our language, not not trying to yeah. sort of learn theirs, but say this is ours. Can can you learn this? Uh, and you know, over the years, there was lots of excitement, and there were lots of examples where people said, "Well, look at this." So the most famous one is Coco, who you probably will have heard of. Coco died, I think, four years ago. There was massive press, and she was the gorilla who everyone said had mastered American Sign Language. Oh yeah, yeah, and and was like. Um, uh, and had met sort of uh, met lots of famous people. So had met Robin Williams one yes, afternoon. Yeah, There's yeah. some great footage yeah. uh, of Robin Williams sort of playing around with Coco, and it's very endearing. Uh, and when and apparently when they told Coco that Robin Williams had died, Coco was very sad um, and, uh, and and really? reflective. Now um, <laughs> that very clearly is not true. <laughs> uh, what Coco probably was doing was reacting to her handlers. Um, and emotional state or yeah yeah, yeah that, that there's, there's no i mean to be honest if i've met someone once you know 15 years before yeah uh, i'm not necessarily you're not gonna be terribly sad i don't, that, I, don't that I don't think i yeah. am but also when you look at the stuff that this lady was was doing with coco i believe that she believed she was communicating and that coco was was sort of reasonably competent with american sign language most other researchers don't. It looks like Coco is just is just guessing, and, yeah, and okay. always uh, and it's kind of trying to read what the researcher wants. So just trying to guess to give the researcher what they want, so that then they will get affection or food. Yeah. So it all seems to be motivated by okay. affection and food. So it's not which, fraud. It's just you know researchers sort of not really questioning yeah, themselves I, I, too, I, I too think closely, so. and they're not providing any data. That's the other thing that lots of other sort of serious kind of primatologists and, and, and neurologists have looked at and said, well, where is the data? And they just won't share the data. So it's sort is, of anecdotal reports is all you get. Yeah, which isn't really good okay. enough. Um, so I wanted to read out a little, <laughs> just because this really made me laugh. Um, back in uh, 1998, uh, Coco did an AOL chat, which dates it nicely. <laughs> uh, so live online. And there's an excerpt here. And it's it's fantastic. So question comes in. What are the names of your kittens and dogs? Coco, foot. 
Um, <laughs> his, his trainer, Patterson. What oh, foot isn't the name of your kitty? And another question. Coco, what's the name of your cat? Coco, no. Patterson. Uh, <laughs> she just gave some uh, vocalizations there, some some soft puffing, and then someone else says, "Oh yeah, I heard that soft puffing." Patterson says, "Now shaking her head, no." Next question: Do you like to chat with other people? Coco, fine nipple. <laughs> Patterson, ah yeah, uh, nipple rhymes with people. She doesn't sign people per se. She was just trying to do a sounds like yeah, right. right. It's basically like interviewing Liam Gallagher, isn't it? Uh, yeah, but sort of worse. <laughs> like <laughs> even I mean, worse. It's like. It's it's nonsense. Yeah, it's just yeah, nonsense yeah. stuff. And then the and then the trainer desperately trying to try and explain it away. I mean, can we excuse that by she didn't really want to do this? A publicist hadn't agreed to the interview, or there were certain Coco, subjects you think were off Coco, Coco didn't want to do it. Yeah, maybe maybe Coco said, "I don't want any questions about the cats." I guess yeah. I suppose we have to entertain that possibility. I, I'm going with uh, it's it's all a crock. <laughs> <laughs> also, uh, Coco was obsessed with nipples. No, okay, no there's nothing I... wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with it, I guess. Uh, but there was a bit of... Um, I think I probably have to tread carefully here because I think it's sort of legally a bit fraught. Uh, there's definitely some issues with visitors, other research assistants, not liking the fact that they were being asked to show their nipples to Coco because Coco likes nipples. Oh, that's <laughs> just murky, yeah. isn't it? And then, and then yeah. Patterson always kind of saying, oh, no, it's it, it, using the... No, no, it's a sounds like, it's a sounds like. You go, no, she, she points at the nipple, <laughs> and when you show her a nipple, she likes it. So, <laughs> uh, and yeah. so it's kind of, yeah. Okay, it's, so, it's, so, it's, so it's, we're, we're definitely not, old, not really very convinced by Coco. It's, it's a load of old baloney. Really, and and when uh, there's a guy called Herbert Terrace who had a chimp in the 60s and 70s who tried to take a much more sort of rigorous approach, and his chimp was called Nim Chimpsky. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. which is good fun because nice. um, Noam Chomsky goes on about how language is unique to humans. So it's kind of a yeah, pun on yeah. that. Um, very funny, but Terrace, his conclusion was pretty much no, n- none of the stuff that we're seeing is anything but just guesswork. Okay. Um, and the and and the researchers kind of trying to cover that up, but probably not consciously, or just if if they give the wrong answer, reacting like the ape is being funny. Yeah, <laughs> like oh yeah, no, no, yeah, he's, yeah. No, no, excusing no. them. Basically. Yeah, he's kidding. He's kidding. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, that is a silly answer, but he's that's his sense of humour. Um, <laughs> and you're like, I don't know if it is. And and the the thing with the all of the ASL stuff is it's just open to interpretation. So if you want to think that you're seeing the right symbol at yeah, the right course. time, yeah. then you, you, you're gonna. Whereas the lexigrams that um, that that Kanza uses uh, that, that that Barbara mentioned, much less susceptible to that. So they're 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 quite specific, and he gets those right, sort of about nine times out of ten. Okay, and he's just he's just pointing to them, and sometimes he can he can string stuff together, not quite sort of sentences you wouldn't say but you know what he's meaning or getting yeah yeah and 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 things like if you change the order of of three words then he'll understand that you want a slightly different action with with these objects so there's a kind of degree of sophistication toddler very almost pre-toddler sort of communication basic but still something yeah yeah but like i say very much sort of relying on 
him sort of adjusting to our what we're presenting as this is how we want you to communicate. Yeah, yeah, okay. N- not really trying to sort of decipher anything that he might be offering himself. So um, obviously that's the great apes, and we probably project more of ourselves onto them anyway. So, so there must be other animals that are intelligent that sort of you know we can't really identify with in the same way, but maybe still exhibit some forms of communication that we could work with. Yeah, you're right. We do need to look outside of the outside of the great apes, and uh, I mean, you know me, we're never going to get through a question like this without me uh, bringing in. Uh, the octopuses. <laughs> of course <laughs> because not. Because you've got to. But for once, this doesn't come from me, though. This is Professor right, Barbara okay, herself. Yeah, yeah, I can blame her. When asked what other types of animals were ripe for... You're just encouraging him. Yeah, <laughs> she is, but I love it. When we said, OK, who else is going to be doing some high-level communication? She had this to say. Right. So I can't be held accountable. I think that there are potentials with many types of animals. For example, I am quite fascinated with cephalopods. These include octopus, cuttlefish, and squid. And we know, for example, in recent years that octopus are just incredibly intelligent and they flash their moods on their skin. They have distributed cognition so their brains exist in their arms as well as in the part of the body that's considered the head. But also they have what are called chromatophores on their body. And so if they're very highly aroused and excited, they may turn red. And if they're not feeling well or uh, in some cases dying, they can turn pale. And, you know, we find it a sort of an unusual experience to try to communicate with octopus because they're so different than the mammals that we typically try to communicate. And I'm not suggesting that we can tell exactly what an octopus is communicating when they communicate to each other, but we can tell something about their emotional state. And this opens up a new landscape of understanding how much animals think and feel. So this, I I think, is the absolute key. If you're going to try and understand animal communication, an animal isn't going to be able to tell you whether you're right. So you have to try and figure it out from, from context. And context, certainly in the sea, is really difficult because uh, the animals are moving around so quickly, they're so hard to, to track, to work out where the sound is coming from, all this kind of stuff. Mm. And, and people are looking at ways of, of trying to get around that. But the octopus, unfortunately, I think you sort of have to discount here. I mean, the, the amazing thing about all of those colour displays that octopuses do is they're sort of just screaming into the void because they're solitary animals oh, right so, they so they're literally just like railing around y- yeah, angry like with the world or whatever yeah. or, or, or whatever they are happy with the world like they're not that they're, they're, it's yeah. just like a one-way broadcast <laughs> there's there's nothing there that is able to decipher what it's saying yeah so it's really eccentric. I mean, they're very eccentric in lots of ways, obviously. Yeah. But I think that I would probably... But they sort I'd, of wear their heart on their sleeve, effectively. Their three hearts on their sleeves. The three on hearts their on their eight sleeves. sleeves. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, and heartbreakingly, no one could see it. No one's looking. No one cares. And, he, and even if someone is looking, they're just like, don't know what you yeah, mean, mate. No, <laughs> don't know what I have no is. idea what that red is. Really frustrating. Very, very well, I'm um, presumably they're they're just like you know they're not that frustrated by it. So does this maybe tell us something about the fact that it's not really communication as stuff as such? It's just a reflection of internal states. Yeah, a, a, a little bit, and and it does come down to what you mean by communicating or talking to to an animal. If you want a conversation where they're able to converse in our one of our languages, yeah. I think you're you're going to be sorely disappointed. Yeah. But you might be able to be in a position where you do understand what they are trying to communicate to other members of their species or or even yeah. us. But you're, you're always trying to piece the stuff together from, from context because the animal, whatever the animal is, it's never going to be able to tell you. That's the whole point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's the why why it is yeah. doing the thing it's doing yeah. or uh, what it's trying to communicate. So you have to try and deduce it from what is happening uh, how other things are reacting. And with the octopus, that's difficult. A, because they're solitary. B, because it's underwater and that poses loads of problems anyway Yeah. Um, in terms of how you sort of follow the action, if you like. Um, so, yeah, like getting to the bottom of, of what an octopus is trying to express, if anything, feels like a very, very difficult task, which is, so it, which is sad. It doesn't mean me. they're not communicating. No, no, no. It doesn't no. mean they're not. No, it's it just, just we can't make sense of it necessarily. <laughs> Not well, not at the moment. That's really not disappointing. Really. It is. It is a little bit disappointing. Yes. Anything else? I mean, any other any other creatures we can actually tap into properly? So, as you'd expect, artificial intelligence will have quite a big part to play in this. Mm. Um, so, if you look at uh, something like a prairie dog, so what's great about prairie dogs is their context and their environment is very easy to monitor because they all they stay in one place. Yeah. They live in, uh, it's called like a, a town. You can identify individuals and you can see exactly what they do and you can uh, kind of work out what it's a response to or what it's anticipating and you can see what the other uh, prairie dog's uh, uh, behaviour, how it changes. And so you can really start to try and piece together what their cause yeah, okay. might mean. Yeah. So there's an animal behaviourist called Konslobodchikov who has been studying prairie dogs hmm. um, and he's using AI to monitor and then look for patterns and, and, and so on in, in the prairie dog calls. And he thinks that they can definitely identify different types of predator to each other. Yeah. They can uh, describe its size. They can say its colour. Uh, so they would be able to say there's a human approaching and the human is wearing blue for example. Right. So they're kind of quite sophisticated predator alerts. Yeah. And even, I think even shape, like it's quite, they're quite discreet. Yeah. It's a quite a surprising level of detail, I suppose. But there's a guy coming, he's in a shapeless blue hoodie. Yeah. I mean, it just, it just yeah. looks like he hasn't made any effort at all. Yeah. And we're like, we're probably, probably don't need to worry about him too much. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he looks down on his luck. Um, so, and, and then there's also, chatter in between in between the bits where you kind of go okay you're saying there's a there's a hawk coming and it's blah blah um there's also just chatter between the prairie dogs that doesn't seem to be performing any particular purpose they might just be small talk so it's like nattering away just to yeah. fill the silence sort of thing yeah which is a very very human yeah very but human. you don't see it very much in in, in the animal kingdom Gen generally the communication because it's i mean what we're not saying is that animals don't communicate it's very clear that animals communicate yeah. the whole time. Yeah. We just struggle to understand what it means. Yeah. Um, what we don't see 
is a great deal of just kind of, yeah, chatter. So these, these guys are just sort of, you know, shooting the breeze. Possibly, yeah. Just to, to aid social interaction, which is good for cohesion yeah. in the group, which yeah. is exactly what we do, isn't yes, it? Yes, exactly. It's like, you know, you've got to be good at small talk uh, because, you know, otherwise people won't like you very yeah, much. It lubricates the social engine. Yeah, exactly. Um, that possibly is what the prairie dogs are doing as well. Yeah. So so they're pretty interesting. And, and the professor thinks that within kind of 10... This is a classic uh, cold fusion one, actually. Uh, within about 10 years he will have a device like a phone sized device that can translate what the prairie dogs are saying but also probably something for like domestic pets bullshit well i think i was trying to sort of uh, <laughs> i was trying to kind of go back through the archives i think to be fair he has been saying that for a while <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah next 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 few uh, years next few years yeah yeah it's coming soon it's coming soon just as soon as as fusion arrives mm. well, well just before that in fact but there is you know, I think AI could really open stuff up in a way that um, we would never have been able to do beforehand, just because it can look at huge swathes of data. Yeah, and of, it's about data. recognizing patterns, recognize, which is exactly. what words are effectively and right. what communications are. And we we can't do that. Yeah, just just by sort of pure sort of our endeavour. Like we just don't have the capacity. Yeah. Whereas AI does. Yeah. Um, and so another really interesting area for that will be underwater so with dolphins and, and, and whales and we know that dolphins and whales have quite sort of rich communication we see that dolphins appear to have kind of signature whistles yeah. that you could a slight push i think say act like names you see that they uh so there's there's two groups of dolphins that are different species that meet in costa rica i think it is and they they use different sounds then so that sounds like they don't use any of the rest of the time like a common language like sort of dolphin esperanto <laughs> which is pretty <laughs> right, amazing yeah yeah and so you feel like okay there's a real potential there now similar to the octopus you have the same problem which is how am i working out where the sound is coming from um like keeping up with the with the dolphins, like the context part yeah. of working out what. How is would being, you begin to is, know what it is they're actually sort of trying to communicate? Yeah, it's it's really really tough. But researchers are 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 working on it with little. So that, I mean, it's quite fun stuff actually. So little like soft robotic fish swimming around with receivers in, listening out, no. sort of dangling little microphones in, putting suction cups actually like onto. I think sperm whales are the are the ones that seem to have a very kind of rich language um little suction cup uh sort of monitors onto them so you're starting to monitor their language and all yeah. of their sounds and, and how they how they react to them and then plugging that into an ai so you you put your machine learning algorithms on it and you look for essentially you're looking for patterns and what would yeah. be amazing is if you could see a pattern so this has been done with human languages i didn't find this surprising but i don't know if it's just because I already knew what the result was. But see what you think. When researchers first tried to create this massive sort of like 300-dimensional cloud of a language, so let's say the English language, yeah, and all of the words have these quite specific sort of vector relations to one another, and so you come up with this, this, this sort of unimaginable cloud, I guess, because there's so many dimensions. Yeah. Uh, but then, uh, you know, an, an AI can see patterns within it. And then you do the same thing for Japanese, and linguists thought, well, you're not going to see any particular match it because they're totally different languages and actually you you see a lot of repeated patterns they, they don't like map one to one but it's very similar right and i thought 
Yeah, that kind of makes sense because, because they're just descriptions of the world. Of getting on with life. Yeah. Isn't like it? If, whether you're underwater or whether you're sort of... Well, no. So I, so this is my sort of worry, in fact, is that our, like the world of the, the Japanese speaker and the yeah. world of the English speaker is very similar, fu- fundamentally. Yeah. Living in a yeah. very similar world, similar, they, you know, going to have similar emotions, similar things you're dealing with, like... It, it, but you think the dolphin but, thing uh, is but the underwater, underwater world the underwater is going to be so going to be very like what maybe like familial relations will be the same there will be some shared stuff but i wouldn't be it's still going to be like where's the food and yeah yeah and so maybe that yeah. that would be the the, the dream who's this, is who's this coming over here i don't like the look of them yeah what what's that suction cup for <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> can that, someone get this suction yeah. cup off my back <laughs> that's never a real fish um <laughs> but the idea is maybe you'll come up with this cloud and you might be able to see some some mirroring with with a yeah yeah with a, with a human language cloud i mean and it's then worth you, a try isn't it i mean you could be quids in yeah yeah, it'd be um, amazing if it worked. There's a lady who's doing something really interesting with with dolphins using a, a thing called CHAT, which stands for Cetacean Hearing and Telemetry, I think. And she's trying to create new words, basically, for for the, the dolphins. So she's kind of... They, they don't appear, as far as you can see, don't appear to have a, uh, a name or a sort of noise for a particular type of seaweed. So she's kind of trying to push it on them really? to then see if when she's not around with her little sort of audio box, if they'll use it. Which oh I quite like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's just basically... Drip like, feeding a bit It's like of, with you when you were trying to get everyone to say how's he all the time. Yeah, exactly. And, and, exactly. and nobody took that up. And, and maybe the dolphins were just like... Fucking hell. Yeah, I mean, if the dolphins are the first ones to go with how's he, I'd be delighted. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if dolphins brag that much. <laughs> oh, I bet they do. Yeah. Probably. Yeah, absolutely. Love themselves, don't they, dolphins? On that note, let's take a quick break. We'll be back after this to hear what is quite a funny story about an animal you wouldn't expect to be communicating with humans. Plus, Professor Barbara King will be getting to the bottom of this week's question, will we ever talk to animals? As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about Wix. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. So I think the, the the prairie dog stuff is is really interesting. I think the the, the dolphins and the, and the whales really interesting as well. AI is obviously going to be massively useful. Now, <laughs> having said all of that, Professor King does have a, a very interesting story relating to animal communication that I think no, scrub that that I know you're going to really enjoy. What is the last animal that you would expect to be effectively communicating with a human? 
I'll just have a, a, any guess. I'm saying rabbit for some reason. Yeah, rabbit's not bad, but it's not rabbit. Bring out the chickens. Years ago, a friend of mine who lives in New Jersey told me about a flock of hens that she kept at her house and she cared well for them and she knew them as individuals. She also had a swimming pool. One day she was in part of her house and she heard a kind of frantic knocking noise at her door that sounded unusual to her. And she went to it and found that a number of these hens had come to alert her to the fact that one of the hens had fallen into the pool and was in serious trouble of drowning. So they actually were able to understand a problem, understand that the person in the house would likely want to help and how to come and get them and to communicate with them. And my books are full of examples of animals that are able to understand how to bridge the divide and communicate with us. And that's one that I like very much. And I believe that a panic response on the part of the hens would have been much more disorganized and not directed directly at her to get her attention. They diverted their path, these hens, you know, away from the pool to seek her attention. And I found that notable. Well, <laughs> okay, there's a lot to unpack there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I mean, first of all, are you, are you having that? I find it so hard to believe, mm. but I like it. I mean, I like the idea that the chickens were just like, do you know, do you know who can help here? Mm. That big one over there, that big thing that mm. gives us our food. Maybe it's like praying. It's like, you know, this is the, the effectively like, you know, the chickens saw her as God able to intervene as maybe I'm ascribing a bit too much intellect to that, the chickens that's now. Not, yeah, that, that, that's, not, that's not working for me. I think this is a absolutely classic example of what the uh, the people with the great apes... It's wishful thinking, yeah, isn't it? I think so. It is. It's I'm the sorry. chickens panicked. They ran around madly and happened to bump into the glass. Mm. Knocked at the door. Yeah. By accident. I think so. Yeah. I, I, I mean, it's almost certainly the case, isn't it? Unfortunately, yeah, but I do. But I, I, want, yeah, I, 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 I want to believe it. Yeah, it's not that I don't want it to be true. No, it's just, just you know you would expect if there was that level of cognition to say shit, there's a big problem here. I need some. I need some intervention. You would expect to have more anecdotes than just that one that I've heard. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it is worth just saying that birds had an incredibly bad rep for, for many years. Like, you know, birds... That's rep. true. Yeah, like, yeah, people yeah. are like, oh, birds are stupid. Yeah. And I think that we now know that that definitely is not the case. Like, birds, particularly like corvids, very smart. And, and there's been, you know, there's a, there's a talking parrot called Alex that's quite famous that learnt quite a lot of yeah. symbols. Like, like birds, not all birds, but there are definitely some, some smart birds. But there's enough people keeping chickens, aren't there, that you would have heard... If they were capable of something like that, you'd have heard more stories. And literally, that's the only time I've ever heard of a chicken yeah. sort of basically using cognition to save another chicken's life. Chicken feel, um, um, with respect, both the chickens and sheep, a bit like the sort of the sheep of the of the bird world to me. Like yeah, just, uh, yeah. just uh, bozos. Yeah. Broadly. <laughs> <laughs> There's a nice, um, uh, in, in terms of actually, so taking it on a slightly different uh, angle, thinking about how we try to understand 
what the animals are trying to express rather than trying to force out <laughs> various sort of language at attempts on them. There's a nice AI program that can recognise uh, a sheep's kind of emotional state or specifically whether a sheep is in pain. Like it's quite hard like for a farmer to, to figure out whether a sheep is in is in pain or not. Right. But, but there's, an, there's an, a kind of facial recognition uh, algorithm. Oh, so it's sort pretty of well. grimacing. Yeah. If, yes. I mean, not, but yes. Yeah. Um, like a sheep grimace. Uh, and, and so if you just put that, as it's going through the gate and you have this thing just running, it will just pick them out really quickly so you can give it, uh, you know, medical attention or, or whatever. Yeah. It's quite cool. Yeah. I mean, they should, they should expand that up, shouldn't they? Not just grimacing with pain, but feeling quite pleased with themselves or something like that. Yeah. A smug expression on the sheep. Yeah. This one needs uh, taken down a peg yeah. or two. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this one always looks so bloody pleased with itself. Yeah. Bored. <laughs> right. We'll see to that. <laughs> Send out the sheepdog. <laughs> so we actually asked Barbara, does the answer to communicating with animals lie with exactly that, trying to better understand what they're already communicating. I also really find myself wanting to turn the question around and ask, why don't we humans see how we can increase our ability to understand what animals are already telling us? You know, there's a cliche that we have to speak for other animals. They're voiceless and we have to take up for them. But I don't think that's true at all. I mean, we know by looking at their behavior that animals want to live their natural lives. And if they are confined to laboratories or taken to the slaughterhouse or made to perform in theme parks, they're communicating really well to us. Their depression, their desire to live free of physical or emotional pain. So I think really, if I could speak to animals, you know, one of the first things I would do is apologize because we're not very good at letting them live naturally or listening to what they're telling us. They are definitely talking. You know, that's, again, a word that I would qualify because we usually mean that vocally. But in their own ways, they're talking to us every single day. You know, I've devoted my recent years to studying the expression of animal emotion, particularly animal grief, animal love, things like this. And I understand that when we look again from the ground up at how animals are behaving, we don't have to try to read their minds. Their behavioral cues are telling us a lot about how they problem solve, how they feel, how they go about their days. And so the framework that asks them to fit into our human communication systems, the Dr. Doolittle approach is fascinating and I understand it, but ethically we are really, really compelled to try to go about it another way. You're going to be apologising to your cat? I don't think so. I mean, the important thing is she wouldn't understand if I was apologising. I need to figure out a way of, like, what would a, a cat language apology be? I don't know. I mean, you're basically feeding your cat, aren't you, and housing it. And mm -hmm. is it he or she? She. She. You're housing her. I mean... You've got nothing to apologise for, have you? <laughs> no, I mean, I would argue no. I, I mean, mean I, generally, I sort of, I'm not. I'm not apologising to Rafi one moment. Yeah, I feel like if anything, I'm sort of enslaved by her. <laughs> <laughs> but I wonder if there are definitely those moments where there's a sort of palpable frustration in both directions. Yeah, where my cat and and, and people will, will know this feeling for sure is meowing at me and I know she's not hungry and she's trying to express something 
I have no idea what that is. Yeah. I'm literally asking her. <laughs> she doesn't know what I'm saying. And it's we're just as kind of an impasse. <laughs> but I do... I, it doesn't feel beyond the realms to me that, again, using AI, spotting patterns, we might be able to, as uh, Professor Slobodchikov <laughs> nice nailed work. it, um, as he thinks that we might have a kind of device that enables us to translate. And I guess the best thing is if it's kind of like a sort of Babelfish type thing. So I say, uh, what is it that you want? And then it spits out the sort of cat. I don't feel I'm going to be learning cat. I think no. I'd have to have something else. But I honestly don't, th- I don't see there being a cat equivalent of what is it that you want. I don't think cats would have evolved to ask each other that kind of thing. So, But I suppose what you could do is you might be able to cycle through the options. Yes. So, yeah. so there is there, there's a kind of finite number of things that the cat can, yeah. can can want. So it's sort of, do you want to be stroked? Do you want some water? Do you want some food? Are you in pain? Like, and and they might have. So if you could work out what those were, you yeah. could just sort of put those. I to mean, the cat for, then... from my perspective with Rafi, you know, we've had to work very hard to work out what it is that she is trying to communicate at any one moment because mm. you get it wrong and you lose a finger. So, you know, so we know that she, uh, if she wants attention, she'll come and she'll play bow. And there's all these kinds of, you know, signals that animals use to each other. So dogs will use towards each other as well. So you have to learn to read their body language. And and, and I guess humans have been working together with dogs for so many thousands of mm-hmm. years that we've become quite good at sort of knowing how to interpret that kind of thing and passing that on to the next generation. So I think, you know, when we first got her, we had to do a lot of reading and sort of, you know, almost watching videos of like, oh, this is what a dog does. This is what this tail wag means. And, and so we sort of have been learning what she's trying to communicate and what mental state she's in. And, and I think there are things like, you know, she recognises her name now, which she didn't when we first got her as a rescue she mm. you know she she didn't respond to her name so she's learned cues like walk and tea and breakfast and you know mm. and you can see that she's like oh this is going to happen now when i say a certain word and i'm pretty sure mm. I mean, it might be to do with the tone of the word as well the way that we say it and stuff yeah, but, but that's true for us def- as well yeah definitely so, communication going on yeah you know there's a there's a project to find really really smart dogs it is all border collies of course it is. Yeah, they're, they're amazing. They're, they're, aren't they? they're by far the, the, the smartest. Uh, but there are some that are like super, as you'd expect. Some that are like really, really smart. Yeah, and and have learnt. And you can kind of you can you can sort of put your dog up if you think you've got a smart dog, and it will be a border collie. Um, put it up, and they'll and they'll and they'll see what it's got. Um, wow. But they've learnt sort of. It's something like between eleven and and thirty seven or something. Um, discrete sort of labels for toys. Which is pretty good. Wow, so yeah. you can have you have them all laid out on the floor, and then yeah. go get get the get the dolly with the gammy eye, uh, <laughs> and they're like, uh, no problem, <laughs> just go and go and get it. That's nice. Yeah, That's that impressive. is good. Yeah, because I mean, we we have that thing that we say, oh, you know, all dolphins or all dogs or all cats, and actually they have different sort of intellectual abilities, don't they? Presumably, I, like I, I mean, definitely make... true of dogs. I mean, some dogs are just dumb, aren't they? But within, I guess it's slightly more surprising within breed. But that, that, and there must but be some, still, yeah. yeah, I mean, there is from this yeah. border collie study for sure. Yeah. Like, most of the border collies aren't like can't learn very much. But yeah, some, but some are, some, are really clever. Some, are really, yeah. some, yeah, seemingly really clever. But I think you're right. I think if I'm looking to answer this question of will we ever talk to animals, I think it's going to come down to us trying to 
listen to what they're trying to say rather than us trying to impose yeah. our, our language. It, it feels like a more fruitful way of, of going to me. But also, I think we should get the most intelligent border collies and just breed them to be ever more intelligent. And at some point, maybe one of them will break out and say, okay, that's enough, people. Mm. I don't like it when you do your little sort of non-scientific jokes. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's just silly, Michael. That's not going to happen. Uh, but you could breed in, you know, more and more intelligent, you could, surely. You, yeah. Uh, you, you, <laughs> Michael Brooks, the uh, the famous dog eugenicist. Yeah, 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 that guy. Yeah, yeah, I know that guy. <laughs> Although, let's not get started on, oh, on, please. on, on dog breeding and yeah. its relationship to eugenics, which is basically, it is eugenics. Yeah, it is. It's horrible, isn't it? Really horrible. Okay, can we just cut the entire sort of section there after, after what you said? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so we're going to keep in the section where you start talking about trying to breed clever dogs. Good stuff. So that's what we think. We should probably see what the expert thinks about the question, will we ever be able to talk to animals? So over to Professor King again. Well, my impulse is to ask, will we ever listen to the animals? But in fairness, I think we can best approach that question by at the very least supplementing our desire to have animals use our language by insisting that we talk to the animals by using their language and if we do that i think we will get much closer to mutual attunement and mutual understanding I think Professor King sort of broadly agrees with us. I think so, yeah. That's quite a beautiful well, we agree sort of her, idea, isn't it? Yeah. You know, that kind yeah. of mutual understanding. And obviously we're going to have to stop just talking louder and slower and actually sort of make an effort <laughs> and, and, and actually learn some of the way that they talk. Yeah, I mean, I assume that with most of them we're going to have to have some sort of machine that does it for us. Yeah, probably. And I'm not. I mean, I, I'm trying to learn uh, Mandarin at the moment, and I, can't, and I can't do that. And I think that uh, and I suspect How's that, that speaking terribly. Uh, and I suspect that speaking dolphin is going to be um, a factor at least. Harder. Yeah, I think it. I think it probably is. But you know, I mean, we've got like Google Translate now, so AI, AI, and and the kind of technologies that we've got enables humans to effectively speak into a machine, and the machine speaks to the other human. Mm -hmm. So it's not implausible, is it, that we can do that with animals? Not at all. I like it. I'm excited. I think what's interesting is how that will change the way that we, will potentially change the way that we treat animals. Because I know that we, we naturally anthropomorphize. That's just yes, what, yeah, what we yeah. do. But if we could literally understand what they were trying to say and communicate sometimes, I think that would really, that would have quite a radical impact on our, on our relationship with animals. I think it's, it, in some ways it's what we've avoided finding out, isn't it? We don't mm. want to know how much we're exploiting them yeah because we saw i mean we do know yeah we do we know don't want it absolutely confirmed yeah, by the animal itself yeah. <laughs> <laughs> are you enjoying yourself in that abattoir <laughs> <laughs> eureka is a stack production presented by me rick edwards and dr michael brooks the production team is andrea lucia peters luke moore and charlie morgan sound designed by katie baxter Special thanks to Professor Barbara J. King, Emerita Professor of Anthropology at the College of William & Mary. If you like the show, please do subscribe and rate wherever you listen to your podcast. It makes a massive difference. And you can also find us on Twitter at EurekaPod. Thanks very much. Eureka is a Stack Production and part of the Acast Creator Network.
What's the first thing you'd say to your dog? To my cat, it's just a very short, sharp, what? <laughs> just what, what, what is it? <laughs> Spit it out. <laughs> Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. Or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.